I got to the starting line and I got a phone call saying what had happened at the finish line and that I needed to get back there right away. I couldn't get a hold of my own family who were sitting in the bleachers. I didn't know whether they were impacted by either of the two bombs that went off right in that area. I went to go up and try to find my own family and the police said, you can't go out there. And I said, well, I'm the race director, here's my ID. They were like, well, it's not your race anymore. Welcome back to the Run to Remember Memorial Marathon podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Fairs. This week, Boston Marathon race director Dave McGilvory tells us how he's run the prestigious race 50 times, recounts the moments and days after Boston Marathon bombing of 2013, and talks to us about the Memorial Marathon being a BQ event. Then, Red Coyote Pacers Mike Sullivan and Josh Lakin explain how they help runners meet their timing goals or even set new PRs. And last, there's a new process for gear check this year, and Laura Driscoll from the Mobile Locker Company is here to tell us what to expect and why you'll love it. The 2023 Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon takes place the weekend of April 28th through the 30th. Visit okcmarathon.com to sign up to run or volunteer. It's going to be a great episode, so let's get started. To kick us off today, race director Kerry Watkins recently had a chance to catch up with Governor Stitt after the governor's training run. Let's take a listen. Marathon 23, the governor just finished his training run with yep. a lot of the training groups and some of the memorial trustees. How did it feel? You know, it felt great. Uh, to be honest, I had not ran since last marathon, so uh, legs were a little tired. Uh, but luckily, they didn't make me go the whole uh, the whole time, so it was fun. But uh, now I've got to start my training to get ready for uh, the end of April. So you're putting a family relay together, hopefully maybe some of your kids and your yep. wife or a, con- a consortium of your family. That's maybe. right. I've got a new son-in-law, so okay. uh, he's a little bit more of a runner, and I'm, I'm going to give him the long leg, the seven-mile. That's like initiation. That's exactly you know, right. That's family. That's exactly right. <laughs> what about, why is this race important? This is your fifth year to step up and say, come beat the Gov, which means a lot to us. Why do you continue to do that? You know, well, two things. Number one, you know, remembering the events that happened 28 years ago are so important for us as Oklahomans. Uh, We speak at this memorial every year, April 19th. uh, And so, you know, my secretary, Blaine Arthur of my agriculture, her mom passed away when she was a 13-year-old girl. And so we just have to tell those stories, make sure that we remember. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is just to encourage physical fitness and being engaged in your community. And as the, as the governor, I can convene and encourage people to come out and, uh, and to be physically fit and active and, and instill that into the next generation of young people. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm just trying to encourage, uh, you know, live by example, lead by example, and, uh, and encourage people to get out and get engaged. So it's training groups, the Memorial Trustees, some of your own staff came and ran with you on this sacred ground. Um, how does that make you feel as we all work together and you do it every day to work to find common ground? Yeah, you know, I tell people all the time, sometimes politi- politics can be so divisive. And I, t- I tell everybody, hey, let Washington, D.C. play politics. We're all Oklahomans. We all have so many common interests and values. And this is something we can all gather around. Um, and we can, we can work together to make our schools better, make our state better, make our economy better. Uh, remember the tragic events that happened 28 years ago. And so that's what this is all about. So last year, 184 teams beat the Gov, which is about... Half the teams, maybe not quite half, but uh, you're gonna you're gonna push it on. You still time to get in the race and encourage runners to jump in. Absolutely, yeah, plenty of time. I actually uh, 
you know, you've got a couple months to put a relay team together, start training, get your five leg, get your 5K legs going. There's a couple of six mile legs. Uh, so anybody can put a team together and get that done. So get an office together and let's make it happen. Can you beat the gov? That's the big question. Thanks for coming out this morning. We're out here on these grounds and uh, you hear progress around us and construction and the morning going and just thanks for being a part of this and always joining in and challenging people to get up and run. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for doing all you do. Thank thanks. you. Since the 1980s, Dave McGilvery has been race director of one of the most famous marathons in the world, the Boston Marathon, a race he himself has run 50 times. With the Memorial Marathon being a Boston qualifying event and the Boston Marathon also targeted by terrorism in 2013, the two races are bonded through determination, tragedy, and hope. Joining me now alongside Memorial Marathon race director Kerry Watkins is Dave McGilvery. Dave, thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dave, thanks for what you do for running all over the all over the world. And we're just honored that you would sit down and talk with us a little bit this morning. Tell us a little bit about what your job is in Boston and how it differs from the Boston Athletic Association. Well, I was hired back in 1988. There was a situation at the start where there was a wheelchair accident and some athletes tripping on a rope. And so... The BAA, Boston Athletic Association, felt they needed to give the start a little bit more attention. I had just begun my own business, DMSE Sports, a local Boston-based event management company. So they reached out to me and asked me if I'd come on board as the technical director of the race. So I said, okay. And basically, I helped change the start of the wheelchair race from that point forward, making it a control start at the beginning. And then as far as the rope tripping incident, I just removed the rope. I've had the job ever since. Um, so my job morphed into not only the start, but the start and then the course and then start course and the finish. And well, in 2001, they changed my title from technical director to race director. And that's what I've been pretty much ever since. And Dave, what's it like to be the race director for the Boston Marathon? I can imagine that it just, it's quite the honor, I'm sure, but also holds quite the responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty good sense being a runner myself as to um, how this race is um, revered by runners all over the world. I mean, they, not necessarily us, consider it the holy grail of marathoning. Um, it's the World Series, Kentucky Derby, Super Bowl, Tour de France all rolled into one for those who are, you know, avid participants in marathoning. So there is a certain degree of, I guess you could call it pressure on us to produce a well-managed event. But I've always said pressure is a, is a privilege. It's a privilege to be in the position that I'm in. A lot of times people say, why do you do what you do? And for me, it's it's all about raising the level of self-esteem and self-confidence of tens of thousands of people. And that's what I think our sport and our industry has become. Years and years ago, it was a very competitive environment. I could go to the starting line of a race and go one, two, three, four, five, I'm going to finish six. I knew everyone in the race and I knew all their ability levels. And it was just a very competitive situation. And now it's all about participation as much. And the walls of intimidation have crumbled. People that believe in themselves. Philanthropy has entered the space. So there's a lot going on out there that we have to pay attention to. There's actually in my world, there's three races operationally going on, the elites up front, the age groupers in the middle, and those who are maybe 
out there that have raised money for a greater purpose than themselves. Mm-hmm. And the Oklahoma City Marathon is a Boston qualifying event. Can you explain what goes into being um, an event that qualifies for Boston? Yeah. In terms of qualifying uh, a B2 race, years ago, as Boston was growing, we had to introduce some mechanism to sort of minimize the growth because you can only fit so many people in an event. And before my time, they instituted qualifying standards. And so based on gender and based on age, everyone in the race, with the exception of some who are running for charity have to qualify, meet standards. And that's what separates us from any other marathon in the world, I suppose, except for the Olympic marathon. So in order to qualify for the Boston Marathon, you have to run in a race that has been officially certified by the uh, Federation of the Sport in the country within which the race is being conducted just to guarantee that the distance is what it's advertised to be, that is 26.2. So any race, for the most part, that is certified can be a qualifier for the Boston Marathon. And a couple of years ago, I, you had some race directors come to Boston, and I got to watch you guys in your magic. And you run the Boston Marathon. You're usually the last to start and the last to finish. Is that correct? Yeah. So when I did my first one, I was 17 years old, and I sort of jumped in as a senior in high school. And unfortunately, I didn't finish. I dropped out in the hills of Newton, got taken to the local hospital in an ambulance. But I I vowed to come back the next year, which I did, and finish it at age 18. And I said to myself at that time, I was going to run this race every year for the rest of my life. And I ran it for 15 years in a row, and then I got off at the job to help direct it. And I had a tough decision to make. Do I run in it? I help run it. And I decided, well, how can I pass up this opportunity to direct it? So I took the job. And then I was standing at the finish line of that year's race, 1988, high five and all the runners and realizing and being full of self-pity that I hadn't run it that day. So I tapped the state police trooper on the shoulder and I said, officer, will you do me a favor? He said, what? I said, will you drive me back to the start? He said, why? You should forget something. I said, yeah, I forgot to run. (laughs) So he drove me back out about eight o'clock at night. And I ran the whole thing by myself, finished a little after 11 o'clock. And effectively, I was the last person to cross the finish line. And that's the way it's been for the last 35 years. So I've run it with everyone for 15 years in a row. And I've run it at night. Amazing. I know. That really is. That's really unbelievable. So you have a motorcycle that guides you or protects you as you run. And... um You've managed to do that every year. That's just absolutely yeah. remarkable after you've had a very long, hard day already. Yeah. It's, you know, when I first started doing it, I was in my 30s. Now I'm in my 60s and I'm saying to myself, what was I thinking? Because <laughs> it's getting harder and harder the older you get, obviously. Um, but it's almost like the calm after the storm. I mean, the race is basically over when I start or close to being over. And a few folks jump in with me and we have... Uh, state police escort the whole way because they want to be there, not because I asked them to be there because I work with them all year on the race and they feel like we need to protect the final runner. If that's our race director, then that's great. So it's very generous and kind of them to come out after the race is over and and guide me throughout the course. But, you know, again, for me, I have a motto in my life and it's, it's my game. So it's my rules. And that's how I think everyone should live their life. So um, I'm, proud of that. So the streets have reopened and that's why the protection is so important. And 
Um, it's it's a great tradition you've created yeah, there. Very cool. Let's let's go back to 2013. Oklahoma City and Boston have sadly one thing in common, which is being target of a terrorist attack, and it happened at your finish line, and you guys handled that remarkably and came out of that. But you want to just walk us through some of those dark days and how you guys remained Boston strong and then came back and, and ran it the next year? Yeah, interestingly, the year before 2012 was a really hot year for us, almost 90 degrees at the start and at the finish. And there was just a lot of medical casualties. Uh, we transported 250 people to area hospitals, um, saw 2,500 runners in our medical facilities. It was brutal. So we were looking for a good year. In 2013, I woke up and weather was perfect. Everything was great. I got to the start. Interestingly, I asked for a 26-second moment of silence for the victims of the Sandy Hook tragedy that had recently occurred. And you could hear a pin drop with 20,000, 30,000 people just thinking about those victims. And little did I know standing there that 26 miles away in maybe a few hours, we were going to be experiencing our own tragedy on that day. But the day went along and everything was great. I got to the finish and I saw my family who were sitting in the bleachers and gave them a hug. I went into the medical tent and everything was fine. Not a lot of issues at all like the year before. And then as we were getting close to its, you know, the, not the final runners, but close to the final runners coming across, I decided, okay, it's time to head back out to the start to do my run. And as soon as I got to the starting line, I was there with a couple of state troopers and I got a phone call saying what had happened at the finish line and that I needed to get back there right away. So they escorted me back and the whole place had been evacuated. I couldn't get a hold of my own family who were sitting in the bleaches. I didn't know whether they were impacted by either of the two bombs that went off right in that area. Um, I went into the medical tent and I hadn't been in there for the last three hours when there was virtually nothing in there. But when I went in the second time, it was full, but not of runners, just of those who were physically impacted by the bombs. I went to go up and try to find my own family and the police said, you can't go out there. And I said, well, I'm the race director. Here's my ID. They were like, well, it's not your race anymore. And it just hit me how serious this was. And so 6,500 people had been stopped about three quarters of a mile away from the finish right after the bombs went off. And so I had to sort of go back to work and put my game face on. Um, the medical team was there. Public safety was there to take care of everyone. I needed to put my race director hat back on and say, what are we going to do with these 6,500 runners who were stopped? Like, they're not going to leave until they get the IKEA bag or find out what's going on. And so for the next eight hours, I, without the staff and volunteers, tried to get everyone there, their IKEA bags back so they would leave the area because we didn't know whether there were more devices. So it was a pretty harrowing experience for the next four, five, six, seven, eight hours. When did you finally connect with your family? Um, Probably around seven o'clock at night, I was able to connect with them. The reason why I wasn't initially is because the cell service went down. Right. They were evacuated from the bleaches they were sitting in, and they were able to get a ride home by some friends. And two days later, I, I came home, and my eight-year-old son was sitting in the bleaches, and he saw everything that went on. And the little boy, Martin Richards, who died in the bombs, was like right across the street, and he was eight years old. My son was having a really hard time with it. And he gave me a hug and he said, Dad, 
I never want you to direct that race again. And that was that was hard because um, now he's thinking that my job is dangerous. Right. Putting on a fun, family friendly road race is now dangerous. Right. But we processed things. Time went on. Boston Strong. We were getting cards and letters and posters and banners from runners all over the world. It was unbelievable the, the support. I mean, at first I thought no one was ever going to come back here. And then it was just the opposite. Like everyone wanted to come back Absolutely. here. And about three months after my son said that to me, he came up to me again. He said, yeah, remember I told you I never want you to direct that race. I said, yeah, Luke, I remember. He said, you know why? I said, why? He said, because I want to direct it now. There you go. You know, and he, he started really processing and recovering and becoming my symbol of Boston Strong. Right, your hope. You know, it's remarkable. That happened just four days before our anniversary. We have an anniversary ceremony every year to, to mark the time of the bombing and to, to honor the families, survivors, and first responders. And then our marathon was that next weekend. And you could have seen the Red Sox at the start line, but we had offered any Boston runner who wanted to come to finish the race to come run for free. And it was a remarkable moment in our country where we're tested and we, we know we can come together and be united. It, it it makes you sick on the days that we fight about the little things when you realize we can get through the very worst together. And I know you live that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a remarkable to experience the resiliency and perseverance, especially of the running industry. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was all America, but specifically it was the running industry and how we will not be denied running freedom. Right. Um, the day after I had one of the elite women come up to me and said, I don't know if I can ever come back. And I thought, oh my goodness, they they won. If, if, if that's the Correct. case, they won. And then a couple of days go by and, you know, we're getting people like, how do I get in next year? How do I get in next year? And then we had the added challenge of growing the race, accepting more people, but then imposing a significantly higher enhanced level of security. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. How do you do that? And I had no idea. It was like starting from scratch, the 2014 race. But in the end, 2014 was epic and it will be the most profound marathon, I think, of all time coming back from the bombing, taking back our race, taking back Royalston Street and taking back our finish line. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I think, you know, we, we are Marathon designed because of an event of terrorism. So we've always had a in, very intense security plan. So when the national media kind of focused on us after Boston, we're like, well, we have these plans. I mean, it's still 26 miles to protect. We all are putting a lot of faith in people and the public to help us protect as well. And as you see, races deal with disruptors even today you realize the strength of the running community who will defend you to the to the very last. And I know you I know you witnessed that firsthand. Yeah. Well that's the very essence and the DNA of a endurance athlete is again perseverance and getting through the difficult times. And that showed itself um time and time again as we were leading up to two thousand and fourteen and here we are, I can't believe it, ten years later. I know. Um Sort of just remembering those who lost their lives and those who were profoundly impacted by the tragedy, but at the same time, celebration of being able to overcome that 
and becoming stronger. You know, good has definitely overcome evil uh, in this situation. Yeah, we've seen that here now for nearly 28 years in Oklahoma City, and I, and I, it is the very best of the, of the human spirit. And I think um, you run races all across the country. We'd love to have you come run Oklahoma City. I know it's the week usually after Boston, but just know that invitation's open to come run the streets of OKC anytime you want. So if you have a quick recover from Boston, come on down. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to run um, London six days later. Oh, wow. I haven't run London yet. You know, and I've, I've done all kinds of crazy things, as you probably have read, you know, run across the country a couple of times. I right. get the World Marathon <laughs> Challenge a few years ago, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. And uh-huh. So it's 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 what I do. So I, I will definitely make a commitment now that in the foreseeable future, I want to be able to come and celebrate with you all and, and run in your amazing marathon too. Yeah, well, we'd love to have we you. We would love to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, thank you. We really enjoyed your time today. We appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for all you do for running. We yes. appreciate you. Same to you. Continental Resources is the Finish Line Festival sponsor and has been instrumental in transforming the marathon's finish line into a true celebration of life with music and fun for runners in the community. Hello, my name is Blue Holsey. On behalf of Continental Resources, we are honored to be part of the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. This marathon is about celebrating life, cherishing memories of loved ones, and acknowledging the resilience of this wonderful community we all call home. This Oklahoma tradition offers strength, peace, and hope to all Americans. Continental Resources wishes all the participants the best of luck in the run to remember. And I look forward to seeing you on the course. Pacers play an important role on race day by setting the pace for runners to keep a specific time or even to help professional runners set new PRs. Red Coyote Pacers Mike Sullivan and Josh Lakin are here to explain what they do and how they benefit the runners. Welcome. Thank awesome. you. Thanks We're for having us. happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having us. Let's yeah. just hear a little bit about you before we start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my name is Josh Lakin. I'm the general manager at Red Coyote. I've been working there now, gosh, oh, going on 11 years in April. Mike's going to be 11 years too, coming yes. up in April, which is crazy. Uh, but uh, yeah, work at Red Coyote as a general manager. I train everybody there uh, in my free time. I love to run. That's my passion in life. That's mm-hmm. why I work at Red Coyote. But then I have two dogs, two kids, and married to my wonderful wife, Candace. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I've been involved with Red Coyote for 11 years as well, coming up in, in April here. In my full-time job, I work down at the court clerk's office uh, and have done that um, ever since 2012. I ran my first marathon in 2009 at the Dallas Marathon, and I have run something at the memorial event uh, every year since. Okay. Um, okay. With the exception of some of the virtual stuff. So. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, what does a pacer do? Let's just start there. Very basic. Yeah. Uh, so, we're the people on race day that have the, this year will be yellow uh, jerseys on. We'll be the ones holding the signs, but our goal is to run a very specific time and run even splits. So, uh, this year I'll be running the half marathon, the two hour half marathon. Uh-huh. Uh, so my goal will be to run 909 mile pace. So, uh, trying to get as specific to that to or that as close time. to that time as possible. And, 
help others stay on track and make sure they can be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because it it becomes somewhat of a contest among the pacers. They want to see, because along the way, there are milestones on the course where Uh you get splits at certain times, and everybody wants to see how close they can stay on On their pace Uh throughout that Uh that 26 miles. Friendly competition there. Absolutely. And (laughs) if you're pacing the, you're doing... What are you doing this year? Uh, the two-hour half. Okay. Yeah. He's doing two hours. So if he comes in at one fifty-nine fifty-nine, that's good. But two yeah. hours and one second is, is not good. over. So what do you, I mean, are you literally just kind of watching your watch the whole time or what, how do you do it? Uh, a little bit. One of the great things that Mike does with the pace team is he has multiple people in each group. So you're not out there by yourself. So okay. you get to share the flag. So about uh, how many test. pacers per time group then? Two per group is Two what we group. shoot for. Okay. Yeah. So uh, who would you say benefits from a pacer? Uh, certainly the runners benefit tremendously. It's one thing they don't have to worry about. If they uh-huh. know that they need to run a four-hour pace, um, they can trust that their pacers are going to bring them in on time and right. they, won't, they won't need to. But as a pacer, and Josh, you'd probably agree with this, I benefit oh, yeah. from seeing Gosh. the other runners. Uh-huh. I mean, it just is, it is so cool. I still... It doesn't matter how many times I run a marathon, and even more so with this race because of what you guys have done with the finish line. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I tear up every mm-hmm. single time at mm-hmm. the end of that half or full marathon. Right. Um, you know, seeing all of the banners at the end, it just means a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I just want to share with you, we had Joan Benoit Samuelson on a few weeks ago, and she shared how helpful the pacers were to her in last year's half marathon. She was coming back. And so even a very, very seasoned runner, because she's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Benefits from the Red Coyote pacing team. So we appreciate that for sure. And so for the runners that are out there, don't think that you need to do this on your own. If somebody like Joan Benoit Samuelson uh, (laughs) takes advantage of the pacers, I think think (laughs) the rest of us mere mortals uh, (laughs) can do that as well. Absolutely. So if you want to be a pacer, how do you get involved in that? So I've been in charge of the pace team for probably nine years, oh, maybe least, 10 yeah. years yeah. of the time that I've been with Red Coyote. The biggest thing that we try to do, for, especially for this race, is we we try to keep pacers that have paced for us before. Uh-huh. Um, that that helps us keep it mostly local, uh, which we really like. You know, we have people from a vast number of local running groups that are involved. A number of our land runner friends are, are involved with us. And so we'll start about January. And we'll get applications from those that have paced before, and we'll do that for about a month. And then we, whatever's left, we open up to, to others. And so there's an application process. We just want to make sure that you can run. If you're running the full, we'd like for you to be able to run 25 minutes, probably faster than the time that you're, uh-huh, pacing, that you're pacing comfortably. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, a little less for the half. We don't want anybody pacing that's out trying to set a PR. You're there yeah. for other people. Yeah. Right. You're there to encourage right. other people. Are you a registered runner as a pacer? Yes, they 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 do register for the race. I'm not sure it's absolutely necessary, but that's one of the things that we appreciate about the memorial. They provide those entries for the pacers. So the pacers end up getting, you know, the shirts and mm-hmm. the finisher's medal and all of that stuff. And that makes it really special. Right. Do you have a pace group for every five-minute finish or 10-minute or kind of what's your cutoff there? 
So one of the, I mean, the, the Memorial Marathon just goes above and beyond in everything that you do. And pace groups is one of those areas. We have more pacers probably than any other marathon in the country, at least any that I know about. We have in the half marathon, we have pace groups every five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a lot, but with a half marathon, that's 40, 45 seconds a mile, which right. is a significant difference. Mm-hmm. In the full, it's kind of a hybrid or a mixed bag. So we tried to look at the Boston qualifying times mm-hmm. and make sure that we had all of those covered. And then once we get up to some of the times that are north of Boston qualifying, then we just went to every 15 minutes okay. in the full. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Now, you guys are both accomplished runners yourselves outside of the pacing. <laughs> you're, you're kind of shaking your head. but I'm... Josh is the man. Uh, um, but, but Mike, no you've run ultras. Yeah. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> So let's hear about you running ultras and why in the world you thought that would be something fun to do. You know, I don't, I think it's just my undiagnosed ADHD Uh brain. Um, I've got to exhaust it so much that it can finally stop spinning. Um, So it takes a hundred miles to. Sometimes, you know, one of the, one of the ultras that I'm most proud of is one that my wife and I did on our own in 2020. We ran 168 miles because there was not a marathon that Uh year. It was virtual, and we wanted to do something that was kind of out of the ordinary. So we just, around our neighborhood, we had a one-mile loop that we did. So those are the more meaningful ones. And we raised, I don't know, 2500 bucks or something Uh for the the marathon. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. Josh, what about you? What else have you run? Oh, my gosh. So I've done about 30 marathons. I ran Boston once, so lucky to do that. And been joining Mike on some ultra stuff. Did my first 100K last year. Wow. And, and how how does the Memorial Marathon compare? I mean, I know you talked about the finish line and how special it is, but just kind of what are the... There's nothing like it. I think it's the most special race out of any of them out there. And I've done a lot of beautiful races, wonderful races. I think the Memorial, it's, it's amazing what it stands for, what it's about, how it's put on. Every piece of it is just fantastic and just absolutely love it every year. Look forward to it. It is a runner's marathon. I mean... Just everybody involved makes you feel like they're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And I've been to marathons where they treated the runners like we were kind of a pain in the mm-hmm. rear end. Oh, yeah. And the memorial makes it so special for this city. You guys really do an awesome job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. Well, before you go, I can't I can't let you all leave without getting maybe some insider tips on running because obviously you're good at it. What's your best piece of running advice? Yeah. To me, especially for that first race day, you're just, you're so excited. There's so much adrenaline. There's music pumping, everything going. It's going easy to start. I think it's so many times I get out there with runners and they're halfway through the run and they look down at their watch and they're like, I just set a PR. And you're like, Ooh, (laughs) you're only halfway done with this race. (laughs) So starting easy, slowing down, making sure you start out. I always say it's better to pass people at the end of the race rather than being the person being Mm -hmm. passed at the end of the race. Uh, Mm -hmm. So starting easy, start building up. And again, that's, I think, where the pacers come yeah, in. It's making sure, sure you don't come out excited. too hot. Yep. Yeah, you go out <laughs> way too hot. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez. Uh, and make sure you don't miss the turnoff. I think <laughs> uh, I've done the Especially full. if you're running the half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been out there a few times doing that full and someone realizes, like, where's the finish for the half? And you're at like mile 16. You're like, <laughs> like oh. well, it was about eight miles <laughs> that way. <laughs> Your bib is yellow. Yeah. You should have yeah. made a turn. <laughs> um, I, I, first, for like the for the new marathon runner, for the first timer, just have fun with yeah. it. Don't put pressure on yourself for a time. 
when it comes to working with the pacers, understand you don't have to be shoulder to shoulder with your pacer the mm-hmm. whole time. If you, it, because we run chip time, so it, it's not when the gun starts, it's when we cross the, right. the starting line and we're electronically uh, monitored. The clocks that are on the course aren't going to help you that much, so, so trust your pacer. Mm-hmm. But stay with them, and then don't be afraid at the end. I don't know that I've ever had a runner finish this race with me that I was pacing. Because if they do if they do what they should, if they've done mm-hmm. their training, what they're going to do is right up here when we get to Homeland on right. Classen, they're going to start to speed up because yeah. they're going to have plenty left. And that's really cool to see. to see. It's sad not to get to finish with them, but it's really cool to see right, that, right. that, that yeah. they've got the energy to take off. Yeah. And, and so just just trust the process and, and have fun with yeah. it. Yeah, very Absolutely. cool. Very good advice. Well, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, and no, thanks thank for you. all that you all do with the, the pacing team. I know a lot of people appreciate it on race day. Yes, awesome. ma'am. Thanks well, thank for you. having us. Whether it's keys, your wallet, a backpack, or clothes, gear check is an important part of race weekend. And this year, the process is new and improved. Laura Driscoll, operations manager of the Mobile Locker Company, is here to tell us what we can expect and why mobile gear check is more convenient. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk gear. This is the first year for the marathon to use TMLC. Your founder, Molly, started this business because she's a runner and wanted a better gear check solution. So can you tell us about about that better solution and what other events you cover? Yeah, of course. So Molly started the company because it was a pain point that she was experiencing as a runner. She found that when storage was secure, it wasn't convenient. And when it was convenient, it wasn't secure, thinking bushes and hiding stuff right. um, in various places. She always likes to joke that if you want to steal a car, go to a race and look on the back tire, you'll find a lot of keys. So she was thinking, what could we do to solve this problem and came up with the mobile locker. We've been operating for about eight years now. And last year we did more than 1,500 events. Some of our favorite races to service are the four Disney race weekends each year yes, and the San Diego Half and Newport Marathon in Rhode Island. And so what is different about how you all do gear check? So we like to think that we create a super stress-free environment um, so that every runner can get there, drop their stuff, have no concerns about, um, you know, missing their items. And um, you're able to access your locker as often as you like before or after the race. So as we know, early mornings, weather changes a lot. And sometimes you might want the layer, then not want the layer. So you can always come back. You can hang on to whatever you want. But if you decide you don't want to run with your headphones, your phone, your water bottle, uh, right before the race, you can just come and check out with us. Okay. And is there a fee for this or is this free for participants? So for your race, we are complimentary and there is no charge. So runners will just come up. It's a super simple, quick process. And we just take the bag and there's no transactions needed. And where are you physically located? So where are runners taking their gear? So when runners arrive at the start line, look for the trucks at Northwest 6 and Robinson. Okay. And then also Northwest 6 and Hudson. Okay. And then when they need to pick up their checked items, we are located at the exit of the finish line chute on Oklahoma City Boulevard. Okay. Between Harvey and Robinson. 
Got it. So that's easy. So you can drop off near the, the start line and then pick up where you finish. Exactly, which is why the mobile service is awesome. Yes. <laughs> do you have any anything that you say don't check or do check? So we pretty much will check anything. Our typical lockers are about the size of a regular backpack. Okay. However, if you do have oversized items, we check them, but not in a locker. We tag it similar to a coat check. So we would give you a claim ticket or write the claim ticket number on your bib. And then we would keep it tagged with us. And in a secure location, it just is not in a physical locker. Okay, very good. Laura, is there anything else that you would like runners to know about checking their gear on race weekend? Uh, We just want to make sure you know your stuff is secure with us. It's safe with us. Our staff monitors the truck at all times. And we're looking forward to providing a seamless, stress-free morning to let you enjoy the race. Well, this sounds great. We really look forward to having you at the race this year. And I know that runners will appreciate this um, new system and, and new way of doing things. We look forward to seeing you then. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap on this week's edition of the Run to Remember podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave feedback to let us know how we're doing. We are five weeks out from race weekend, the weekend of April 28th through the 30th. Visit okcmarathon.com to sign up today. This is your host, Kristen Fairs. Thanks for tuning in. Got what it takes.